means you might not know that it's there. Its goal is to spy on you. I get it. We all love free stuff. Maybe your employer just handed you a phone or a laptop. Lucky me, you said. Wow, this is wonderful. You just got a gadget worth $1,000, all without spending a dime. But remember, nothing in life is free. Every gift comes with strings, and in this case, you might be paying with your privacy. Let me explain. Say your boss hands you a laptop or even a wearable device to track your movement. When you accept any device from your job, you should expect some level of surveillance. All the data from your gadget has to flow somewhere. And more often than not, it's flowing back to somebody's databases, maybe even your company's. That's right. Someone could be keeping track of every keystroke, every step that you take. This is actually a huge problem. Now that countless people are working from home and using company-provided laptops and phones, we're seeing the startling rise of something that's called bossware. Okay, never heard of that before? It covers all the apps, gadgets, and software to watch over workers, primarily those working from home. At first glance, it does make sense. Managers want to make sure that their workers aren't monkeying around when they should be doing their job. But of course, it's not that simple, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. There are a ton of different opinions on employee monitoring. Some see it as a necessary evil. Others say it's a, just a huge invasion. But regardless of what you think, we can't avoid the facts. Bossware puts workers at a big risk. And I'm not talking about all the phishing attempts that can take down people's devices and accounts. And if you're working from home, an attack on a company-owned device that you're using could actually get into your home network and all your devices and all your files and everything attached to it. What I'm talking about here is invasive time tracking and productivity tools. It can completely invade people's boundaries. Let me give you an example. Back in 2013, BP America started handing out Fitbit trackers to its staff. Hmm, this is great, right? The company wants everybody to be happy and healthy. Well, soon the company was tracking data on their employees' fitness, sleep quality, fatigue levels, and even location. And at some point, it makes you wonder, why does my boss really need to know where I eat lunch on the weekends? And why do I have to share my sleep schedule with them? And I bet you might be thinking, well, if you don't want to give your private information out, just opt out. Not that easy. Sometimes you're required to take part. Here's another example. Straight from one of America's most prestigious universities, Dartmouth College. Let me set the scene. Dartmouth would ping students' computers and smartphones with information about their course materials. The students would get these notifications at all times of day, even when they were taking exams. The trouble started last spring. Thanks to the pandemic, exams were held remotely, of course. But proctors kept a close eye on the exams to prevent any possible cheating. This led to a huge fiasco that endangered the future of over a dozen students. Basically, Dartmouth's system was watching over students and noticed that they were getting notifications. It thought students were secretly accessing course materials while taking those online exams. The students' futures were threatened, maybe even thrown out of Dartmouth, all because of an error from a surveillance system. But here's the deal. Surveillance software infiltrates all facets of our daily lives, even schools, and some of it really could be getting out of hand. You could say, oh, well, this is happening in China. Well, here's the deal. Take Canon's Chinese offices. You might be sitting there saying, well, that's China. That's not here in the United States. Here's what happened. Canon set up IA cameras that demand employees smile, that's right, before they're allowed to enter the facility. 
So if you're having a bad day and smiles are just hard to come by, good luck getting your paycheck. Bossware opens up a whole new world of privacy invasions, too. CCTV cameras track lunch breaks. Mobile apps can watch every movement. It's like that old Christmas song about Santa. Just swap out Santa with your company's name and you can feel eyes on your back whenever you're working. In today's episode of Kim Commando Explains, we're going to get into the sticky world of Bossware. You're going to learn how it affects you, what your company knows about you, and how all this stalkerware works. This stuff touches nearly every aspect of your life. I mean, even kids are at risk for this. Think about child safety apps that are designed to help you keep an eye on your kid. Where exactly does all that data go? And what about social media monitoring, stalkerware, home monitoring systems? The closer that you look at spyware, the more murky and invasive that it gets. So stay tuned and listen in as Allie, our amazing content queen, and Mike, our vice president of production, and he's just a great guy, can be delving into your privacy and how it's on the line. We're here with Cooper Quentin, and Cooper, just give us a little bit of your background. How did you get involved in all this? Hi, yeah, uh, so I'm Cooper Quentin. I have been working at the Electronic Frontier Foundation for seven years now. Um, I started there working on our product, Privacy Badger, which blocks web trackers uh, that, that try to follow you around the web and make a um, profile of what you're visiting and what you're seeing. Um, I started out working on that, uh, and then I've since transitioned to our Threat Lab team, where I work on identifying threats to uh, some of the most vulnerable populations, a specific, specifically targeted digital threats to people. Things like spyware, spouseware, and bossware, um, things that spy on journalists, uh, human rights defenders, and so on. Okay, so um, Ali has joined us, but how did you get involved in like uh, an advocacy for workers that are being tracked by uh, their companies? What made you decide to go that route? I'm a big supporter of workers' rights uh, in general, and of course, uh, EFF is a big supporter of workers' rights, and we're a big supporter of privacy. We're a you know big Fourth Amendment organization, right, and a big First Amendment organization. So uh, privacy is very important to us, and we think that people have a right to privacy, uh, you know, in 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 their homes and. With a lot of people now working from home, a lot of the surveillance that used to happen in the office and in the corporate sphere is now happening at home. Uh, it's happening on workers' laptops in their house or employee-owned laptops that they've had to take home. Uh, so that's that's how it got on our radar, and that's what, that's what concerned us about this problem. So that's why we started to get involved and take a look at some of this uh, spyware that we call bossware. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So you've thrown out some of these terms, all wares, you know, spyware, bossware, spouseware, disciplinary tech, I've seen it called. So kind of give us the big picture. How, in general, how does this stuff work? Yeah. Um, so the, the big picture is that essentially this is all various forms of a type of malware or computer virus called spyware, right? The general idea um, is that this is software, it's not obviously installed on, on your computer. It doesn't have any outward signs. You might not know that it's there. Um, and its goal is to spy on you. Um, and that could be anything from creating a log of your activities, such as what websites you're going to, 
um, what programs you're using. Uh, it could be logging keystrokes, uh, as in like, you know, every key that you type when you type in passwords, when you're typing in a message, it's making a log of all of that. Um, it could be taking screenshots of what's on your desktop. Um, and some of these even have the ability to turn on the microphone and the camera uh, and start recording your conversations or what's in your room without you knowing. Um, and those are those are pretty common abilities of spyware across all of these categories. So spouseware, which is spyware that's installed by a spouse or a partner, bossware, which is spyware that's installed by a boss or an employer. All of these are, you know, sort of subcategories of the overall spyware category of things, right? Um, and spyware has sort of those common features. Right. So some of these things, they're sold in these ways that make them sound like they're not that invasive, right? There's like, oh, it's automatic time tracking software. It seems really helpful. But like you said, a lot of this stuff does so much more than that and down to turning on your camera, turning on your microphone. Yeah, exactly. And so there's two Bossware companies that we know of, but two of them, um, Staff Cop Enterprise and Clever Control, let employers secretly activate the webcams and microphones on worker devices. So at any time, your boss could come in and turn on the webcam, turn on the microphone without you knowing uh, on your on your work computer. And that, to me, is super creepy and really scary, honestly. And I don't think there's any good business reason for that. Like, you can you can make a case that, you know, for in a, in a highly sensitive industry, right? Like you might need, um, you know, logging on work computers to protect intellectual property, right? Or you might need logging on work computers for the security of those computers or, your, or the security of your employees, right? I think that there are valid use cases for monitoring computers in, in limited ways. We don't think employers should undertake any monitoring for, for those purposes unless they can show that it's necessary, proportionate, and specific to the problems that it's trying to solve. I can't think of any problem that an employer would be trying to solve that would necessitate turning on the microphone and turning on the camera surreptitiously. You can imagine ways that this could be abused, right? Um, for example, imagine in like a sexual harassment scenario, right? If your boss was able to turn on your camera and microphone at any time. Say, you know, uh, you had a stalker in the company who had a friend in the IT department, right? Um, and was able to do that. I think that this is a pretty egregious violation of privacy, far above and beyond anything that would be necessary um, for an employer to have. The problem is that this is now in your home, right? As more and more people are working from home, this surveillance is happening in your home. So when your boss is turning on your microphone and camera, they're not necessarily just filming and recording you. They could also be filming and recording your roommates or your uh, lover, you know, your loved ones, your spouses, or even your kids, right? Um, and anything incidental that happens to go on in your home outside of you know, the work day or the workplace, right? And that's, that to me is especially egregious. Yeah. And this software is all more popular than ever because of the pandemic and, you know, seemingly this idea of, well, our workers are at home, so we need to keep an eye on them. We can't do it physically. Let's do it virtually. Uh, I saw a study, it was from a few months ago, but it said one in five companies surveyed said they were using some kind of remote monitoring. You know, another 8% said they were considering it. So, 
How pervasive are you seeing this and, you know, the average everyday person? Do you do you see this being an issue? Um, I mean, so we don't have statistics about how often it's being used or anything like that, but I think it's I think it's definitely an issue, right? Mm -hmm. The more that companies start to use this, uh, the more it becomes normalized. I think that employees, uh, people that are being forced to use this should be speaking up, right? Should not allow these sorts of especially egregious surveillances in their homes, right? Look, like lots of companies use security monitoring software on their computers, right? And I don't have any problem with that. Right, monitoring for uh, intrusions, for malware, right, for, for phishing, protecting the employees, right, making sure that nothing bad is happening to the network. That's all very important, right? But this sort of like essentially this, you know, digital boss standing over your shoulder, right, watching you every minute of every day, that's not acceptable. And it's, it's not good for employee morale. Um, and it's not good for the employer in the end, right? Constant monitoring stifles creativity. It diminishes trust. Uh, it can contribute to burnout. If employers are concerned about data security, there are tools that are tailored to, to data security to catch real threats, right? If they just want to micromanage their employees and watch what they're doing every minute of every day, that's not contributing to a healthy work environment. Um, that's going to cause your company to, you know, if you're going to operate your company like that, if you don't trust your employees to that degree, then you need to rethink what you're doing as a company. So there's the security software that you were talking about. And then there's a second level that might be called, you know, a productivity software. And then there's a third level that's maybe spyware. But you can go through this. We need to take a quick break. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about more about this bossware and also some extra creepy examples of what some bosses are going through to uh, watch their employees. That is next. It's the Kim Commando Explains podcast from commando.com. Welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We're talking with Cooper Quinton, who is with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Cooper, you were talking about security software, even productivity. Is productivity software going too far? I think that depends, right? It depends on how it's used and what your company looks like, right? My dad used to be in construction and he had to fill out timesheets that were broken down into five minute increments. Uh, and this was for the purposes of billing, right? Um, because they had to bill clients, you know, 15 minutes, actually, you know, he had to fill out pretty extensive timesheets and lawyers a lot have to do this too, right? You know, if these are sort of thought of as digital timesheets in a, you know, industry where that sort of, you know, really granular timekeeping is already the norm and is, you know, somewhat necessary, then I don't know if there's any particular problem with that. As long as the employee knows about it. Now, as if long as the employee knows about it. Are you guys it, against yeah, exactly. monitoring a, an employee without them knowing about it? For the most part, yes. So as I had said earlier, if there is a you know, valid use case that the company has, like say the company you know, specifically suspects that this person is 
data that they are stealing or leaking from the company has sensitive data, right? Um, is performing a specific investigation, right? If there's probable cause and if this um, uh, surreptitious monitoring is necessary and proportionate and specific to this problem, then uh, I think you can make the argument that, you know, secret monitoring um, is necessary, right? But that's on a, that would be on a case-by-case -case basis, right? Um, I think that secretly monitoring all your employees all the time, I don't think there's any good reason for that ever. Well, yeah, and then you go to that very scary example of someone just listening and watching to someone all day long. And, you know, we yeah. haven't talked about this yet. All of this is legal, right? You probably agreed to this when you signed a contract. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, all of this is legal. Um, there's no, you know, the the Fourth Amendment, the Constitution, right, doesn't apply to private companies. And it certainly doesn't apply to uh, what companies uh, do with their employees, right? And yeah, a lot of this was probably in your employee contract um, and, you know, in your employee handbook, right? Uh, this stuff is kind of spelled out for you. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there's not much much recourse that you can take. You know, of course, the best recourse is always to uh, join with your fellow employees uh, in engaging collective bargaining and demand that changes be made if there are things in your workplace you're unhappy with. Um, yeah. So if we're talking about people in an office setting, you know, you come into your office, it's pretty easy for me to understand. Yeah, someone could have put that software on your computer. It's owned by them. Same if you use a company-owned phone. What about with all these people working from home, if you're working on your own tech, what where do we get there? Yeah, that's the case in a lot of companies. A lot of companies, you know, people, um, people's work laptops and their and their home devices kind of, um, you know, end up being the same device, right? Uh, or or people are bringing in their own phones, right? And some companies are mandating that people install uh, this software on their personal phones or on their, you know, on their personal laptops that they're using for work. Um, that's a different sphere, right? Even when your home becomes an office, it's still a home, right? Mm -hmm. It's still your home and you, you still have a expectation of privacy there. The thing about this software is that they don't have the uh, ability to distinguish between work-related activity and personal activity, such as, you know, your email account or, you know, bank data or medical information, right? So, so with this software, you know, if your boss is seeing your activities, seeing your keylogger, right? They might also stumble across very, you know, personal protected information about you, right? Like websites that you, uh, you know, happen to check during the workday on a lunch break or whatever, right? That have nothing to do with work, but that could still be embarrassing, right? Like if you have uh, medical issues that you're that you're looking up, right? Or, or information, you know, other information about your personal life that you wouldn't want your boss knowing and that you have a reasonable expectation of privacy about, as we all do. So we have the Google suite here at Weststar. And uh, of course, uh, everybody, all bosses want you to have your email on your phone. The one thing with Google Suite, this was a couple of years ago that I didn't like, and we had different IT people then that I didn't trust. <laughs> but uh, we, our IT guys are the best now. But anyway, uh, back then, they, uh, they wanted me to put the Google Suite on my phone so I could get my email. And then I realized that they can wipe that whole phone if they want to with Google Suite. So... What's your kind of uh, take on that? 
what we're seeing, uh, exactly what you described is what we're seeing is this blurring of personal devices and work devices, right? And I think that this is a trend that's only going to increase, right? Like you said, most employers now want us to have email access on our phone, right? Or want us to have Slack access on our phone, right? So your, your work is sort of always following you now. You know, the employer might gain some control over your phone, right? From, from what you said, right? Being able to remotely wipe that phone because you're part of Google's enterprise suite. Um, or, you know, some employers are requiring workers to install uh, similar like tracking software on their phone. That's really concerning, especially because your phone is, for a lot of people, the phone is sort of an extension of their brain, right? Um, and so that's, that's where it becomes really concerning. Absolutely. You said that the employer is going to ask someone to install this. Is that typically how it works or is this also installed secretly? The companies that use this, uh, these technologies will typically just install it on work laptops, right? It's not, it's not a option um, that you get, right? It's just installed. They, right. they just install it before you get your work laptop. Um, for, for things like installing it on your phone, of course, those you're going to, you're going to have to ask the employee to install something on their phone, right? Um, on their personal phone. Um, if it's a work phone, you know you might have a different. Uh, that might be a different case, and you probably could install something beforehand. Right. So it's generally those ones. You know, maybe the different types of stalkerware or spouseware that kind of get installed by someone, and you don't realize it's there on your own personal devices, right? The ones that are probably more likely to end up secretly installed on your phone are those other types of, you know, stalkerware, spouseware, those types yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, bossware, generally, like there are laws that the company wants to follow, um, you know, and secretly installing software on your phone, on your personal phone, right, would likely be a violation of some laws and open the company up to a lawsuit. So yes, you're more likely to see software secretly installed in cases like stalkerware um, or general spyware, yeah. but not bossware yet. Okay, so we know you were involved at least somewhat to, about this uh, Dartmouth Medical School um, story, so we want to hear about that and we're going to explore this more uh, coming up in just a moment. It's Kim Commando Explains from Commando.com. Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains from Commando.com. We're talking to Cooper Quinton. He's with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And specifically, what's your job there? I am a senior staff technologist working on the EFF Threat Lab. And you were somewhat involved with this uh, thing that happened at Dartmouth. Can you tell us that story? What happened and what was the result? Yeah, certainly. Um, so what happened at Dartmouth was that Dartmouth is using this software called Canvas. Uh, and Canvas is remote learning software um, that lets users uh, take tests, lets users review study materials, and all of the things that you would need to do um, if your school is not physically in session, as almost all schools were uh, in you know, 2020 over the COVID uh, lockdown. Dartmouth had several medical students um, taking tests over Canvas. 
and had accused, I think it was 17 students of cheating on this test based on the Canvas logs. So they alleged that the Canvas logs showed that the students had been accessing course materials and notes during a closed book test. One of the students' uh, spouse, who is a security researcher and a computer uh, engineer, got in touch with uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation um, and, and told us about this case and said, hey, I, you know, I think that there's something, uh, I think there's something weird going on here. Like my spouse definitely didn't cheat um, and, you know, knew that my spouse was getting good grades. There was no reason for her to cheat, right? Um, and there was no reason for any of these people to cheat. They all, they all swear up and down that they didn't cheat. I've looked at the logs and, uh, and I think that there's something else going on here. And what we determined had happened was that for all of these students, um, they had other devices that they used to study on, such as laptops, phones, and whatever, right? That were nowhere near them when they were taking the tests, right? That were in other rooms that were closed, but that had accessed the Canvas notes that they had been looking at the night before, right? Or earlier that day. Um, because of pages automatically refreshing, because of, um, you know, uh, uh, what's called an AJAX request where the browser, where your web browser will request parts of a page in the background. This is how most web pages work these days. Um, this is how most web pages have worked for the last decade or so. We determined that that was what was going on, that these pages were being loaded in the background by devices that were still turned on, but not in the, you know, not necessarily in the test taker's possession, right? And looking at the logs that we were able to get, a lot of the students who had been accused of cheating, the course materials that they were, were shown to be accessed in the logs had nothing to do with the tests that were being taken. So they might be taking a test, for example, about, um, um, child psychology and the course materials were about horses, right? And obviously those are not real examples, but that's how different the materials supposedly being accessed for cheating were to the contents of the test. We were appalled by this, which to us was a pretty clear misunderstanding of the facts by the school. So we wrote a letter to the school, uh, to the dean there, and. Um, where we explained that the Canvas data was not a good indicator of cheating, that there was actually not much correlation between the Canvas materials accessed and the tests being taken, uh, why this material would be accessed in the background, um, and you know that we thought that the students deserved a rehearing, that they should have somebody who actually understood IT uh, look into this matter and can, and they would be able to confirm uh, what we were uh, proposing, right? Um, Dartmouth sent us back a letter that said, uh, you know, for reasons of privacy, we can't comment on this, uh, but, you know, thank you for your time. And then the New York Times got involved. Uh, so the New York Times got wind of this and gave us a call. We told them what was going on, ended up with a very nice article. They did some excellent investigation, and we ended up with a very nice article about 
how Dartmouth had really messed up this investigation and had really given these students no recourse. In the end, uh, after the New York Times brought a lot of attention to this, Dartmouth suddenly realized how badly they had screwed up and reinstated all the students, dropped all of the charges, offered to help, you know, help the students out with any, you know, any hardship they had had because of this false accusation. Uh, so this is a fantastic outcome. We're very happy with this. Unfortunately, this is not a one-off case. Uh, Dartmouth is not the first, last, or only school to accuse students of cheating based on extremely flimsy logs and so-called evidence from software products like Canvas or Blackboard learning, remote learning softwares, right? Which are, at least in Canvas's case, right? In their documentation, they say that they are not detect cheating, that they are not a cheating detection software. That is not what they are trying to do. That is not what they think they're good at, right? And But what's happening is that these schools are looking at logs, finding sort of the flimsiest evidence of cheating, and then bringing these accusations to the student. And in a school setting, when a student is accused of cheating, there's not really what you or I would expect for due process. The student often does not get a chance to defend themselves. Or if they do, it's sort of in this kangaroo court where the student doesn't get a lawyer, doesn't even necessarily get to see all the evidence against them, doesn't get any sort of representation. And oftentimes the student has the burden of proof to prove that they were not cheating. It's sort of a guilty until proven innocent. So it's in no way what would happen if you were accused of a crime in the real world, right? And so a lot of these students are just screwed when this happens, right? And they have no recourse um, and they're just marked as a cheater. Uh, so since that story came out in the New York Times and since we sent our letter to Dartmouth, we've heard from several other students um, about the same things happening to them at different schools. And we have stories from as far back as 2018 um, and we have stories as a couple of weeks ago. So this is a big problem. We think that schools need to take a look at Dartmouth's example, where Dartmouth admitted that in conclusion, upon their review, that Canvas data was not good evidence of cheating, right? That it didn't actually make sense as evidence when they reviewed it. And they're right, it's not good evidence. Upon reading their memo, Dartmouth's memo, which was written by their IT department and their security department, um, about the evidence for cheating. If anybody I worked with as a technologist wrote a memo that was that bad and displayed that basic misunderstanding of the last 10 years of web technology, I would fire them. <laughs> um, I think that other schools need to take take notes from Dartmouth and, and see what was going on there and see all of the bad press that Dartmouth got. Uh, Dartmouth's alumni really were enraged. They, I think the Dartmouth alumni seeing this story really put the fire to the feet, right? And threatened to, to pull a lot of donations and a lot of funding for Dartmouth. Um, and I think that other schools should take note and take heed that, you know, this is not the way to catch your students cheating. Uh, and you're, you're only going to embroil yourself in a scandal.
Yeah. And just, you know, depending on the situation, to be really clear, it's not just a slap on the wrist. This can ruin someone's future. Yeah, absolutely. Right. This goes, you know, this is anywhere from you get a scarlet letter on your transcript, right, that says that you're a cheater. Um, and then, you know, anywhere you have to show your transcript to, if you want to, you know, continue on, if you want to go to grad school, if you want to get a job that wants to see your transcript, right, they're going to see that you're a cheater. Two, people can even get expelled over this, right, kicked out of college. And then, you know, and then you're really screwed. So, yeah, this can affect people for the rest of their lives. This can affect people's careers. If you've gotten massive student loans out for college and now suddenly you're kicked out of college and can't get into another one and can't finish your degree, right? Like this, it's it's not trivial. It's not a slap on the wrist. And then we swing back around to Bossware, which they say, yes, this is for keeping an eye on people. You said before, really what you can do is get with your coworkers, decide we don't like this. Is there anything else that people can do or any steps that you recommend anyone listening thinking, I really don't like this. I don't like the idea of this. I don't want to be tracked. What can people do? Well, first of all, try to find out if your company is using this stuff, right? Go to HR, uh, look in your employee manual, right? If you're friends with the, the IT people, right? Any of them, ask them, right? Um, um, you should be able to find out this stuff. You know, or if your company says that they announces that they're thinking about using some of this stuff, you can try to get together with some of your coworkers, write a letter or make it clear that this is not how you think uh, the company should operate. Of course, you know, if you uh, have a union, you can go to your union, right? If you have a smaller company, this might be easier. If you have a larger company and you don't have a union, right, you might uh, have trouble finding that leverage, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but um, always vote with your feet, right? Um, or some of us can vote with our feet. If you can, this is happening at your company and you can leave your job, right? And you think that this is a, a bridge too far for you, right? That's something that you might consider. Of course, not everybody can leave their job, and especially, you know, in times of high unemployment, uh, leaving your job is not necessarily a good prospect. Um, and, if, you know, unfortunately, that's when employers can get away with some of the egregious treatment of their employees, when employees are kind of stuck in that job, right? So that's, that's unfortunate. But yeah, you know, I think the best thing that you can do uh, if your if your company is doing this, is to um, get together with your coworkers and engage in some uh, collective bargaining. All right, that's on the employer side. And as we wrap up here, last question: What would you like to see employers do about this? I'd like to see employers uh, respect their employees, right? And I'd like to see state and national legislatures, as they adopt consumer privacy data privacy laws. Uh, established protections for workers. I'd like to see that employers keep their surveillance of workers limited to what's necessary and proportionate, you know, to run and protect their business, of course, but some, you know, to minimize the information that they collect, collect such information or do such surveillance as is necessary and to problems that they're trying to solve. And as there's no reason why an employer should ever need to turn on your camera and microphone without your knowledge. Right. Um, so, you know, as long as they're going to collect data, they need to minimize that and try to, you know, avoid collecting personal data like um, private messages to family or, or um, you know, passwords to, to personal websites. Right. Even on employer owned devices, I think that this stuff should be minimized and should be if an employer does realize that they're collecting more data than they need, they need to take steps to correct that. 
Um, and also workers need a private right of action so that they can sue employers uh, that violate these statutory privacy protections. Right now, there's not, not much resource that you can take if you find out that your employer was spying on your computer. And there needs to be, we need that to happen. Cooper, thank you so much for being on the show today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Cooper. Boy, they did such a great job with this interview. I bet you would have never known that your company was so interested in your private life. And after today's episode, you know exactly how to fight back against workplace surveillance. So make sure that you share this episode with your family and friends so that they can be aware of this huge issue too. And a big thank you goes out to Cooper Quinton for spending so much time with us. And if you learned just one thing, make sure that you give us a great five-star review. Give us a plug wherever you get your podcast so that this way more people are aware of our podcast. Be sure that you subscribe and follow too. And if you're looking for the Kim Commando Show podcast now on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe. Just search for Kim Commando Show podcast. If you're on Android, head over to getkim.com. Once again, that's getkim.com. I'm Kim Commando, and thanks for being here.